Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Joining me today are directors and founders of Clan Gordon, Jonathan and Andrew Gordon. Morning, both. Morning. You both well? Very well. Thank you. Good, good. Well, look, let's start with some recent impressive news because Clan Gordon scooped three outstanding awards at the All Agents Awards Ceremony in November. And for those unaware, the All Agents Awards are the UK's largest free customer awards for agents and people working within the property industry. So can you detail the awards received and, and what it means for Clan Gordon? Yeah, well, it's really just, I think because it's based on reviews. So we've won a number of awards in the past for things where you apply for the awards and and they look at how you manage your team and what your customer service is like. But a lot of it's based on what you say about how you do stuff um, during interviews and things. And this one is the only awards for the industry where it's, it's all customers' reviews. So anyone can log on to all agents and and give a review of their letting agent. And if you search for lots of things to do with letting agents, then all agents comes up as a site to try and find a new agent if you're looking for a better one. So to have it voted for by customers, it's basically how many customers have given you five-star reviews and that's tenants and landlords. So we've had um, a huge number compared to other agents in, in Edinburgh and we've actually won Scotland as well. So overall Scotland was a really impressive bit. And then, not to forget the other awards were listed as one of the gold award members for EA Masters, where they actually look at your adverts online and they analyze how many properties have virtual tours, how well the adverts are put together, if there's a floor plan, and they also do um, mystery shopping and actually see how your staff respond to questions. So it's all really down to the team, just you know, not knowing that they're being assessed all the time by, by these people. That, they're just doing everything as, as as well as you would hope that they would do. And so that's really satisfying to know that the team are, yeah. are, are working well. Well done. And, and you, I mean, you both founded Clan Gordon in 2007 and you've built up a team of 13 members now. Um, and they're all trained to Arla Property Mark level, um, level six, and all Marla members too. So tell us about your staff and a bit more about the level of qualifications that they hold. Yeah, we were looking just yet, um, yesterday in our management meeting at um, the staff and how long they've been with us. And people tend to stay with us. So, you know, we used to joke that the only people that had left us was um, our property manager went to be a Baptist minister. Right. Um, and then another one went to train to join the police. And someone else went to train to be an architect. So people tend not to leave us once they've joined us. And we're really proud of that part of it. And quite a number of the people are coming up for their three-year anniversary um, and other ones like Ed who's been with us as long as 10 years so we've been going for 14 years yeah. and it's just it just makes the, it much easier to manage a team when they've all got a lot of experience and, and used to working together and they, they gel really well together and the training thing we decided when um, managers and supervisors under the letting agent code of practice were required to um, be trained to a particular level level six 
if you were managing any staff or owning part of the, pro the company, we decided that we would go one step further and get everybody trained to the same level. And it's worked out really well because everybody, you know, we had people studying together. Uh, so two people at a time doing the, the training courses and, and going to additional events to learn extra about the particular subjects they were doing. And it's, it's worked out really well in terms of gelling the team as well. Excellent. That'd be good also for your own, you know, clients, tenants and landlords, both having, you know, knowing the people that are there and it's not change of faces and they're dealing with the same people who, you know, have obviously been there for quite a few years with yourselves. We'd like them to be able to, people like a single point of contact, but they don't really need that at Clan Gordon because we work together so well as a team. So we want the accounts person to speak to them about an accounts thing and when the property manager to speak to them about maintenance and if we're relighting the property it wants to be the person that's doing the viewings and choosing the tenants so that makes more sense but only if you're working together as a team and one of the really good things that we've done since everybody was actually qualified um, and members of Marla we had to keep professional development going so you have to do a certain amount each year and the way we've structured that is by getting each staff member to train everybody in what they do so they would learn about it so but, but making sure that it's done right so they're not missing anything. So we've been to training with contract heating, for example, where they've taught us about the different things to do with gas safety. And then the person that went to that training is going to, and they look after that side of getting certificates done. And they're now going to do training to everybody on that, having made sure that they know what they're doing with the, with the company that um, does our gas safety work. Great. Well, now you not only survived the pandemic without having to let any staff go, but you actually expanded. What, what new roles were created during this time then? Yeah, so we we kept all our frontline staff and there were obviously quite a lot of people furloughed because we weren't doing as many changeovers, obviously, because uh, people weren't moving and we weren't able to do inspections or maintenance. So we had a lot of furloughing going on, but and, I, and we switched around staff a bit with that so that people weren't getting bored at home being furloughed all the time. So we tried to keep everybody still engaged in the business. And then we managed to stay pretty stable throughout COVID and keep everything running even keel. And that was down to our organisation, the type of um, the type of um, staff we have. And, and when everything came back online and, and you had a huge volume of backlog of certificates to do and maintenance, we actually created a new property manager role and we replaced that person in terms of um, um, what they were doing before as a property administrator. So just to kind of beef up the kind of admin support for um, making sure that these jobs were caught up on as quickly as possible. Okay. But I'm aware that you had, um, you know, significant arrears on a small number of properties due to the pandemic. However, you were able to support your tenants without having to evict any of them. How did you work with the tenants then to enable the tenancies um, to be sustained? I think I think the first thing to say, Jillian, is that we we probably started with a pretty solid foundation. So all our properties are in good condition. Um, We've got, as a result, good tenants and good landlords, really, as well. So, you know, as you were working through, so when the pandemic first hit, we were, you know, like everybody else, it was all new to us. Um, we did get a wave of people contacting us. So everybody was worried. What do we do? What does it mean if I don't pay my rent? Um, and actually a lot of landlords offering support. So, good. you know, a lot of tenants... You know, before furlough and when furlough came in, um, you know, I think most people recognised that everybody was taking some sort of hit to their financial situation. And we did have quite a lot of landlords, even some landlords who were offering and saying, you know, just tell the tenants not to pay the rent for 
couple of months till we see what happens. Um, so I think that kind of solid foundation allowed us to manage the arrears situation. Um, we did, particularly during furlough, uh, the first furlough, um, we did have quite a lot of tenants who asked to um, reduce their rent. So obviously a lot of people were only getting 80% of their salary. So we did have quite a lot of tenants who asked if they could reduce the rent to 80%. Um, and the vast, vast majority of landlords who, had, as I said earlier, in some cases actually offered support before they were asked, um, were quite happy to do that. Um, and almost all of them were quite ha uh, happy just to write off that shortfall. Mm -hmm. So there obviously was, um, you know, if the landlord had chosen, they could build up arrears. Um, but in almost all the cases, the landlords understood um you know, and the reasonable people. And I think, you know, understood that, you know, it wouldn't be fair to build up arrears, really. If, you you know, everybody's salary has been cut by 20%, it would be reasonable to um, allow the tenants to reduce their rent and not to build up arrears. And I think, again, going back to what I said at the start, you know, the, the foundations that we had where we've got generally good tenants, generally good landlords, you know, we're very careful about how we pick our tenants. We're very careful about, you know, the landlords we work with. You know, we don't want to work with landlords of a certain type. Um, so generally the arrears, we maybe had one or two obscure situations. Um, so, you know, situation I can think of where a couple working in, you know, the fitness sector want to just change jobs mm. um, just at the wrong time. Um, had a period where they tried to go back to their employer, eventually did go back, but they had a phase where they weren't really receiving any income. Um, their partner was self-employed in the fitness industry. Um, and again, self-employed support was a lot slower yeah. for, than the furlough situation. So there was one situation like that, and another situation where I think there was only two really, one another one where um, a couple, the husband had changed jobs at the wrong time again, went back to their employer and the employer wouldn't take them on. Um, so generally we didn't really have, and you know, big arrears building up in most cases, um, you know, it was a lot of work, you know, we, we, mm -hmm. we did a huge amount of work with, you know, there's a wall of people asking us questions. We were communicating daily, um, or weekly with, with tenants and landlords about changes. Cause if you remember, there was so many changes happening at the time with, you know, or over the whole piece with mm -hmm. the furlough scheme terms changing and such like that. So, um, so overall it, we, we, the situation was managed by, a, by our team in a fantastic way, really. Great. That's great to hear. Well, what were your views overall then on the financial support offered by the, the Scottish government, you know, to tenants and landlords affected by the pandemic? I think, I mean, if you look at from a tenant's and a landlord's perspective, the, the kind of core, you know, for a tenant, the, the available support, the core of that was things like universal credit. So if you were in a, a really difficult position, universal credit, or in some cases, employers were being quite supportive in terms of, you know, maybe not just paying 80% of your salary. Um, so for tenants, those were the core parts of the support. For landlords, again, things like mortgage holidays was probably the key thing. Um, but in terms of the support that was offered, I mean, there was, there was two main schemes for tenants. The Tenants Hardship Fund, um, which was a loan. Um, now, our experience of that was reasonably minimal. We did have one tenant um, who we tried to support through that. 
Um, so again, we were communicating all this to tenants and landlords when these things came out, trying to help them understand, because there was so much information coming out from the government at various different times. We were trying to take that information, communicate to make sure they, knew they were aware of it. Um, with the Tenant Hardship Fund, we did have one tenant applied for that, but didn't get the loan. Yeah. And, you know, it was treated as a loan. They had quite a low credit score which is, you know, not necessarily uncommon for the sort of age of tenants where they may not, you know, build up enough credit history to, to be able to access credit. Um, so when they had one applied for that, they didn't get it. The tenant grant fund, I mean, I mean, there was a bit of a, that was a bit confusing. We, we had one tenant who was in significant arrears, um, but the scheme was really based around where you're at risk of being homeless. No. Okay. In that scenario, you really have had to have been already had the notice to move out. So, in our situation, the, the reverse was true. We were, you know, this is a particular tenant who was quite troubled, family life and such like. Um, we were speaking to them every week about how they were getting on. There was lots of difficulties, other difficulties going on, um, but we hadn't given them notice to move out, and that was us working with tenant. The landlord was, was fantastic. You know, they were very understanding, very upset for the tenant, actually, about their situation. Um, and because we hadn't actually applied or hadn't given the tenants notice to move out, the scheme didn't really seem to work for that. Um, that situation has actually resolved itself in a different way. But um, for that scheme, really, it, it didn't really apply to us because we, we tried to sustain the tenancies where we could, which was, you know, what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, and then the landlord loan support scheme, to be honest, we're not really aware. I mean, we wouldn't necessarily know about that, but as far as we're aware, not any of it, none of our landlords actually applied okay. for that. But again, as I said, a lot of supports for tenants and landlords were bigger things, you know, so if you were a landlord and you could have a mortgage holiday, that's always, you know, that's a, a significant financial support for your, your cash flow. Um, I think so, it was, yeah, so that would be our... I think it was cl clear that this, you know, the, as Andrew said, the UK support was, you know, they're the ones that are able to borrow the money and provide the furlough and provide the universal credit. The Scottish government can't do that as fixed budgets. And so the Scottish government responded really well to requests from, from the Scottish Association of Landlords and others to provide support for landlords and tenants. And, you know, the fact that they managed to do that during this time when there were so many other things going on, I think was really, really good because they recognised that making sure that people stay in their homes was, was fantastic. Where I think it fell down was in the perhaps the design by the by them and probably the way that they had to provide the loans, for example, was that they were only do, able to do that through structured loan things set up by the UK government mm -hmm. and they had to follow rules of credit for those. So that then wouldn't come out of their primary budget. And then the grant scheme thing, they probably got that slightly wrong, as Andrew said, because, you know, they, they told you to support the tenants and make sure they stay in the property, but you would only be eligible for the support if you were thrown out yeah. or at risk of being thrown out. So it would probably, but then how do you, how do you prove that they should be in arrears? And it's very hard to design these schemes. So I think they did a very good job of trying to create support, but in reality, it doesn't seem like, I'd be interested to know if anybody else has managed to get the funding from the grant, but it, it, it didn't seem to work for the two examples we had. Okay. Well, as of July this year, landlords with properties in Wales must give the tenants six months' notice if they would like to take possession of the property, you know, where there's been no fault by the tenant. 
Um, in your views, how likely will the Scottish Government follow suit, as in you know, making the COVID legislation you know, permanent? Um, and what effect do you think this would have on the Scottish PRS? I'm, I'm, in terms of whether they keep it permanent, I don't know really. Um, you know, at the moment, the scheme, the, the, those sort of terms are in place in Scotland as well. You know, I, I think there's with some of these things, it can be a bit of a perception thing, so it might affect the perception of the market. You know, so if landlords think, oh, well, I can't sell the property if I want to move back in, um, that might seem to be a barrier or put them off. Um, I think it depends on the type of landlord you are as well. So if you're an investment landlord, you might think that's okay. I'll be planning to do whatever I'm going to do um, over a six-month period. If you're a, an owner-occupier or a reluctant landlord, you know, try to think of a scenario where, you know, a landlord's moved to London, loses his job, needs to move back home. That might, again, be a perception thing, you know, if the things move that fast, you know, but you can create things in your head that might, might, might that you might think might happen, which are actually unlikely to happen. So I think some of it's a bit of a perception thing. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm, not conv I'm not really sure whether they're going to do it or not. And, yeah. you know, I think as much of it is about perception, I think it's the type of landlord you are. Um, I think some of the, you know, six months for arrears is probably a bigger issue, which is obviously not a no-fault no um, thing. But I think in terms of the two things, you know, taking it back to move in, which is three months at the moment, six months for selling, you know, it's a tenant's home. Maybe that's okay. You know, you know maybe... Okay. Well, some of our agents reported just towards the end of last year that stock levels continue to be significantly low, particularly with the three and four bed properties. What factors do you both believe have contributed to this um, shortage, and, and you know how do you see the imbalance levelling out? Um, I, th I think there's well, there's been a shortage really for the majority of the time that um, we've been doing this, which is why rents keep going up. Um, we've not, we've rarely had uh, a difficulty in renting a property unless um, a landlord had asked us to get more than, than, um, than the market suggested it would get. So when we go in, you know, if you look at the City Lights report, when, when we look at what a property is worth, you know, the first place that we go is to look at the um, city let system. So look at the history of, I mean, that pleases you to say that, obviously. It's really easy to go by postcodes. Yeah. You can go to EH91 and, and then skip the last two letters and you get a really, a really um, layered level of information mm -hmm. um, and you can analyse it really closely in terms of what you can actually achieve. And when we make a range of suggested rent, 700 to 800 pounds for a landlord. If we then advertise within that, we've always um, managed to achieve that. Um, it's only if the landlord wants to try a little bit more because if maybe put a new bathroom and kitchen in, they think it's worth a little bit more, um, then you might have to reduce it after a, after a short period. But what I think has happened is that during COVID and the lockdown and everything else, people have been furloughed, people at university not able to go to university. Mm -hmm. Everybody's been on pause. And, um, you know, young people that might be finishing university or starting their first job, they wouldn't move into a flat with their girlfriend or they wouldn't move into their own flat or out of, out of home. They would stay at home for longer and they would stay where they were. Um, they would um, 
a whole series of people postponing what they were going to do. And then they've, you know, as COVID relaxes and, and the rules change, everybody just suddenly started looking at what they were going to do again and the economy starts to pick up and move. So there's, I think there's been a huge influx of people to Edinburgh, things like Bailey Gifford, so a lot of people moving from London to, I think they've got a new office or, or more office um, and, and more people working in, in the Edinburgh area. And we've seen people working with relocation agents looking for properties. And there's been a real struggle for anybody looking for a good quality accommodation, two, three, four bedrooms at, at the higher end. So anything above a thousand pounds. But even below that level, one, two bedroom properties, the demand was just instantaneous. You know, mm-hmm. 10, 20 people wanting to book a viewing and having to stop booking people in because there's just so many. Mm-hmm. You know, nor- normally you wouldn't want to miss out on your perfect doctor and pilot that are wanting to move into a flat. Um, but, you know, by the time you've got 20 people booked in, there's almost no point in, in booking anybody else until you see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. So multiple offers for properties where in the past we'd only get one or two. Um, and, and I think that's probably the only thing. I think there's a bit of an influx to Edinburgh's always been a key market. And if the economy starts going again, then um, that's one of the key places where it's going to start. Okay. Um, but just mentioning rents, because CityLet's latest quarter four uh, report recorded Edinburgh's average rent at 1,191 mm-hmm. compared to the Scottish average of 869. Can you tell our listeners more about the capital's PRS performance and, and you know, the reasons, as you were just starting to mention, why, why it's such a strong market? Yeah, well, I guess some of that is that. So you've got, I think some of the people that have done well during COVID, not everybody has suffered. So there has been a lot of people who've maybe been in good jobs, even if they were furloughed, they were furloughed on a good salary um, and they haven't had been able to spend any money on holidays um, they weren't able to go out, so they couldn't spend any money on going out. So, I, I, the, the, you know, the stock market is based on the top companies, and some of them will be big financial companies, and, and a lot of them will have offices in Edinburgh, as an example. So, you know, things like people like Bailey Gifford have done well, people that manage pensions, that type of thing, they've done well. They've cre- needed to recruit more people, more people who are not spending money on holidays, being able to put more money into their pensions. Um, and I think. Um, that's potentially what's done that. But there's always, you know, averages are never that great. You know, the average sales price on ESBC for a property, it's kind of irrelevant. It depends. You know, you, you can't really lump one in, one bedroom properties in Gorgie with mansions in, in the Grange together and, and get any kind of if, uh, idea of what's happening in the market for real. So I think the average, you need to dig down more into the detail um, and, and look through the report at, at the more specific areas um, but the, you know, there's lots of small cottages throughout Scotland or small houses that are rented out for three, four hundred pounds a month, and that rent hardly ever changes. So your averages across Scotland are are bound to be lower. Okay. Well, quarter four's report also recorded Edinburgh's time to let reducing like significantly compared to the same period last year, and particularly with the one and two beds recovering to now stand at 10, 10 11 days on average, yeah. respectively. But I mean, has this been your experience with demand for the smaller properties? Well, yeah, definitely. I, I think um, it's all those young people moving out. So your, your one bedroom properties Student properties, there was a real demand, which is a bit of a surprise for us um, because we still thought a lot of students might stay at home and some of it was still remote um, studying and things. But that 
was it was I think Andrew's son in Glasgow found it really difficult to get accommodation. It was very very busy. Yeah. Um, if you were looking at flats, <clears throat> um, but the one and two bedroom properties, you know, the ten eleven days. Yeah. I mean, our adverts will stay on for a bit of time because you've got to arrange the viewing. That might be a few days' yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So you might arrange. You know, you might pick up requests for viewings, advertise the property today, um, and then it's a week's time when all the viewings are completed. Your application goes to the landlord. Landlord says yes. You sign the lease. You do the reference checks. You know, it kind of takes ten days to yeah. do that. So I think it's almost instant, really. Um, is the is the By the case. time you take it all. Yeah. Well, just going back to the students, things. You know what I heard, and did you find this student experience that quite often, you know, students will, you know, rent a flat within the maybe four or five of them. You know, it works out financially better for them. But because there was such a demand and coming from other areas as well, not just students. Did you find some students were having to separate and take smaller properties, just you know, rent kind of one or two of them? Did you see more of that pattern taking place? Um, I think we saw, I mean, it's all been a bit confusing for students. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's quite a lot of, you know, I think Jonathan mentioned my son's in Glasgow, and you know, there's a lot of students were really, really almost couldn't find, you know, second-year students particularly coming out of student accommodation, you know, the kind of university accommodation. There's quite a lot of them commuting now. Um, sure. And some have had to, you know, find a one-bed or a two-bed, which, you know, it's all, one-bed's expensive, mm-hmm. obviously too expensive, you would argue. Um some have had to find two beds where they can, um, which hasn't been helped, which hasn't, you know, they, there's still a strong demand in that part of the market as well. So overall, it's been pretty tricky, um, you know, for, for students. And there's quite a lot more commuting, I think, right, if, you're, you know, if you're close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should never, under, you know, you do wonder, you know, there, some of the universities, there's almost, you know, it's, it's pretty much remote learning. You know, even now you're doing one Hello. one day a week, and you know, but never underestimate how much going to university is, is about uh, getting away from home and yeah, the experience, one, experience as well as much as anything else. So you know, because you would think it's a waste of money. I mean, you know, they could just sit at home and save five hundred pounds a month, but uh, I don't think that's what they think. Yeah. Well, it's been reported that agents have experienced an increase in landlords selling up, you know, exasperating the shortage of properties available. Um, has this been your experience of late? Um, so we we typically win roughly the same amount of pro- new instructions from new landlords each year. And um, that's been fairly steady for the last three, four, five years. And we actually took on roughly the same number of properties as we usually do over um, last year, um, 2021. Um, but yeah, we did We did find that um, our growth um, wasn't as much as it was because there were, there's normally a, a small number of landlords that sell or move back into their properties each year. And I would say there was three times as many okay. um, last year that took their properties back primarily for selling. And you know, when we started in 2008, that was a financial crash then. People couldn't sell a property and became accidental landlords quite commonly. And a lot of traditional landlords are also, even if they're not accidental, they planned it, but they they they, um, they kept the flat when they bought a family home. And then they're now re- maybe re-evaluating what they do. And they just, there's quite a lot of those landlords. We haven't found any investors selling properties. Um, it's really been people that um, had lived in the property and knew the property and it was their home at one stage that are selling. And just, uh, yeah, more of those took them back. 
to sell and they've obviously had to wait longer and they were nobody really complained much about that longer period for example you know if they were selling the property they were they, they felt that none of them complained it was unfair they just said oh well yeah of course that's six months and what typically happens is the tenant then just has a long longer time they're going to wait till the end of the six months they tend to give their notice back because they only have to give a month's notice mm-hmm. so it kind of works okay and the landlord can sell it a bit quicker but yeah i would say there's more but we 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 were winning flats and most of the, for the first time we were winning um, maybe half of the ones that we, we took on quite a lot from other agents. Right. And it was all to do with um, agents struggling with the communication and maintenance. And again, because we'd maybe managed things well, we kept a good reputation, good, good reviews online. People looked at us when they went to switch and, um, and then they, they, um, or maybe taking the chance to find a better agent at that time. So we've got quite a few of those. Okay. Well, for those that are not aware, your brothers, so tell me, what, what are the benefits in working, you know, in business and working with your with your sibling? I, think, I mean, I mean, there are, I mean, we're quite different. We're quite different. You know, we're quite, although we're brothers, we're, we're one of four. So we've got two other brothers um, as well. Um I think probably we're quite different characters, and I think that probably you know salesy guy and you know accurate guy, um, you know. <laughs> I think probably our personalities have worked quite well. I think, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's probably you know is it the fact we're brothers? We've got good moral found you know moral grounding from our parents, so we're quite we we care. We care about our staff. We, you know, we care about looking after tenants, looking after landlords. We, we, we a good kind of a kind of moral um, approach to the things that we do, and I think you know the the business done well, you know, because of that, and because you know we've got, you know, the, I joke about sales and the the accurate one, but that we have got that, and that does work quite well um, in terms of you know. Growing the business, growing the business, and ensuring it's running efficiently and um, successfully. Jonathan, have you got anything to say there? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to say that um, we, we, we have this management structure, and we've got a fantastic management team. So, me and Andrew for a long time managed everything, hands on everything, and we're still very hands on. We know what's happening because we have weekly management meetings. And staff are always phoning us for advice and different things. What should I do with that? And they're happy to do that because they know we're not going to tell them what to do. We let them decide what to do. And then they come to us when they need just a second opinion or something. So we have a really good management structure and weekly management meetings. And um, when we do, when we sort of formulated, we're looking for a way to set them up. And we read a, I read a book um, and somebody else recommended it to me. And all these books about business. When I was working in Vodafone, you were encouraged to read all these leadership books, and they were all very, very difficult to read. But this one was just it's quite simple, but it talks about people, businesses. If you have two people running a business, it's very often the case that those two people that have come together have different qualities. One will be the sort of entrepreneurial salesman type thing. Doesn't mean the other person is not, but but if you don't have a person who is sort of having checks and balances on that. So if I was doing it myself, um, and I did start myself for a few months before Andrew joined me, um, you know, I would either be double the size or bust, you know? And so we've got a very good, solid grounding and that 
if, if I'd been on my own, maybe COVID wouldn't have been managed quite as well because we wouldn't have had such good processes. So Andrew introduces very, very good processes. I make sure that there's really, really good customer ethos. So if have done something wrong, we pay for it. If a staff member does something, they know that we're going to treat that in the right way and that you know we're going to help them sort it without lumping the problem onto them. So it probably... Yeah, it balances. You balance each other balances, out. Your yeah. strengths and weaknesses yeah. by the sounds of it. Yeah, but also you can, yeah. you can, if you do fall out, as we did a couple of times more when we were. I was going to ask any any tips, <laughs> any tips in the office, probably tips that you can that you can say. Well, I think that when we worked in my flat, because I was single when we started, just and then shortly after wasn't, and then but I was still in the flat by myself. So Andrew had his family house, so he came down and we worked in my living room. <laughs> I didn't have much furniture either, so that was quite easy. Very odd flat. <laughs> you on the carpet. <laughs> well, just two desks, two desks, and and that was it. Very odd lifestyle. I think I had a sofa. Um, oh, you had a sofa. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, Andrew's very particular about things, and he would say very accurate. And uh, but you know, I, I have this memory of him washing his hands in my toilet. So he'd just go to the bathroom. Wash his hands, and I'd have the towel folded over the towel reel. And every time I went in after he'd been I think in, you do mean it would in be the basin rather. Than would, <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the basin in the toilet. Um, yeah. But every time I went in after him, I would, the toilet would just be the, the towel would just be sitting a little pile on top of the towel reel, not folded back over, <laughs> which was quite strange given how accurate Andrew is. But well, I think I think I've been. I, I was re, I was early married at that point as well, and I think I've been trained been quite well. Yeah, so if you go in, if you go in, I probably wasn't very good at folding towels or making the bed or picking stuff up up, up from the floor. But actually, now after an additional twelve years or thirteen years of marriage, I'm actually quite good at that now. So I do I do fold towels and stuff. So I probably was. Younger. In a company that has the signs around the office, laminated signs of instructions in no, the toilets. No. In the... <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought I thought I was going to hear some like some some great kind of like arguments. Uh, well, we've we, definitely we, had arguments, but, yeah. but um... we had a long text argument about ten years ago. <laughs> um, I think I was maybe even on holiday, and we were just. Andrew will say I was t- texting nonsense and he was, he was texting us. I have no idea what that was about. I remember I can't actually remember. Our mother, our parents, my mother wouldn't let us fall out too much. <laughs> she would just slap us around the head. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. But, you can t- but if you are brothers in six years, you can you can tell each other to get lost. So we would fall out for a couple of days about yes. some wee stupid thing. Um, but then, you know, then it doesn't matter because you're brothers. So yeah, um, exactly. I used to steal this selection box. I think I told you the last time we spoke that I used to steal his um, chocolates out of his selection box, but from the back, so he wouldn't notice. He, he was a terrible, it. he was a terrible child when he was younger. I'll tell you that, no, Jerry. A terrible younger brother. Time. I made the mistake of sitting at the same table every break time. There was a group of us, and uh, I don't know. It was always at Christmas. I, mean, I just remember being the Christmas holidays when somebody had um, disclosed the fact that yeah, it was, it was Johnny Gordon was the thief. Me. Yeah. Uh, no, I can believe that. <laughs> Jillian, because he certainly stole their chocolates as well. So wonder you weren't bigger than you than you are. <laughs> I had a, diff- I had a difficult, <laughs> <a> difficult childhood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh dear! Oh, well, listen, it's been really great catching up with you both. I'm sorry it's not been in the office. Um, oh yes, I've just just recovered from COVID myself. So, but anyway, be good to catch up with you. Yes, good to see you. Soon. 
Thank and, you, uh, and thank you. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gillian. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk.